What's up, everyone? It's Brad. This is a quick insert that I recorded after the show because during the show, I compare Volodymyr Zelensky's propagandist to Joseph Goebbels a number of times. Unfortunately, prior to recording the show, I looked up a how to pronounce Joseph Goebbels, found some audio, listened to it, and I listened to someone who also wasn't good at pronouncing that name. That's why I pronounce it Joseph Goebbels the entire show. That's one of those words for me. We all have one of those words that we just can't seem to pronounce right. I actually have a few. This is one of them for me. I get confused. Is it Goebbels? Is it Goebbels? Is it somewhere in between? Is it Gerbils? Is it Joseph Gerbils? Anyway, I apologize for that. I hope you do enjoy the show anyway, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. I got to tell you, especially when we get to those clips of Vladimir Zelensky's propagandist, and you will see that she is, in fact, his own private, Joseph Goebbels. Enjoy the show, y'all. The abortion fallacy. The future of news is on display this week in the mainstream media and Vladimir Zelensky's private personal Goebbels gives tips on how to win the information war. Some very interesting ones at that. You're watching the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Lots of interesting news to talk about today, starting with the top story of today. The top story of almost every day, it seems like, lately, and that is the story about former UGA football star and current Senate candidate for the United States from Georgia, Herschel Walker. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it just feels to me like the media, they don't like Herschel all that much. They seem to have it out for him. In fact, they seem to have coordinated a establishment media-wide effort to tackle Walker behind the line of scrimmage before he can even make it to Election Day. Because the only story that they've been talking about for feels like the past week, and they've got some new breaking news today, that's what they say anyway, it's a joke really, is this story about this accusation being made against Walker by a former girlfriend of his who claims that back in 2009, 13 years ago, that Walker who is very outspoken about his anti-abortion beliefs, that he paid for her to have an abortion. That's the story. The media loves it. The media celebrates it. They love the story. They can't stop talking about it. It's, it's, uh, it's all, the, all the rage. It's, it's like the queen must have died again or something with the way they're focusing so much attention on one story, one stupid story at that. Now, this has got to be embarrassing, less so for Walker, and actually more so for Walker's opponent in this Senate race, which is Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock, who, unlike this brute Walker, doesn't like to put on a helmet and hit people with his shoulder pads. He prefers hitting people with his car, as long as that person is his ex-wife. Despite Warnock's inclination to treat his ex-wife as though she were a speed bump that he'd never, never in hell slow down for, He is actually a charismatic, experienced leader, a preacher, a trained politician who has done this before he's won office. He knows what he's doing. He's got good ads out there. He's got support. He's got money. Yet despite all of this, he was trailing Herschel Walker, a brick, like a literal brick. Herschel Walker's not the greatest candidate in the world, okay? And that's probably why Warnock's got to be a little bit embarrassed that he needs this much help. I mean, this is a lot of help he's getting from the establishment media to try and flip this race back in his favor away from Walker. Because Walker, let's be honest, his campaign skills, 
they're not likely to win him any political Heismans anytime soon. And Warnock has got to feel like trash to be losing to this guy. Walker's not the sharpest knife in the drawer is what I'm trying to say. Not the second, not the third. He's a spoon. Walker's a spoon in the drawer. Spoon is beating Raphael Warnock. Or they, or he was until the media who is invested in this race because it is gonna, it's important when it comes to who's going to be in control of the Senate. They decided they needed to step in with the full power of this establishment media, coordinate a campaign against Walker to try and put the thumb on the scale in favor of Raphael Warnock, which they have. They've flipped it from Warnock being down, I think, four points to he is now up by two points. Great job, Raphael. You're losing to a spoon. Well, you're barely beating a spoon. Excuse me. How dare, how dare I? With the help of the media. I mean, what an embarrassment for him. Look, I was in favor of, of Walker when he came out, but he's, this isn't his thing, man. Great football player. This is not his thing. He's not good at it. Maybe he can get better. But right now, man... The guy seems to be struggling a little bit. Now, there's a couple of things about the story about Walker, which this campaign of reporting endlessly on the, these accus- or this accusation being made against Walker is this coordinated campaign against Walker trying to help Warnock. And there's a couple of interesting things about this story that is not being focused on in the media. One is that the broader argument being used against Walker. It's completely stupid and fallacious, and everybody knows it. Yet, the media is seriously trying to use it as a way to pin Republicans who support him into a corner, as though if they, if they, don't, they don't separate from Walker, a person who they just go ahead and say he's lying, and that he did in the past. It doesn't matter what he says. He's lying, definitely. He did in the past pay for a girlfriend of his to have an abortion. Now he is promoting pro-life anti-abortion positions. And you can't, those two things can't be possible at once. You can't possibly be, have anti-abortion beliefs if you paid for an abortion once. This is them assuming it's true. And then they try and project that you're evil. You're going to go die and burn in hell. If you continue to support someone who did both of those things because they can't exist in one person. And they're also projecting this fallacious argument onto other Republicans who might have had an abortion in the past. And I I find that to be interesting because it's such a bad argument. And everybody knows it's such a bad argument. Yet the way that they're using it and reporting it and and just – these people are shameless. Being real serious about it and they know it's stupid is effective in putting Walker and anybody else who might be accused of something similar related to abortion in a lose-lose situation. and. It actually puts them in this situation where, hear me out, if I were a sleazy political strategist, a Roger Stone or something like that, or whoever on the left, anybody, Biden, Hunter Biden, whatever, and this was going on, I believe that a Republican being accused of something abortion-related, like Walker is, would be put in a position, by the way this is being done, with the anonymous sources and the relentlessly refusing to believe any denial and just assuming it's true and whatever, the way they're doing this, that Republican, I believe, would be in a position to where, even if the accusations are completely bogus, absolutely bogus, 100%, that the politically savvy move by the political operator might actually be for the accused, who didn't do it, to lie and say that they did. 
And I'll tell you why here in a few minutes. When it comes to the, the for the Republican Party, they like to do things for parties and whatnot. That's how they control people. And I'll give you a little bit more details on what I mean here in a second. I'll also tell you why, and it's related to this, that I believe that even though these accusations against Herschel seem very plausible, I mean, really, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I can buy that. I'd bet that he's actually telling the truth when he says that he didn't do it or that she's lying or that it's not true. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Or, and I'll also tell you the counter argument to that as well, because there are two sides to that. But I, I know where I would put my money. And the story is also interesting to me by the way it illustrates the new media, the new world of news, the new journalism, the the future of news consumption that they want to create, which is so stupid, so dumbed down that we have no power and we think we're actually doing critical thinking. But what we're really doing is just banging our heads, uh, fingers against our faces or temples with a finger and thumb and a hammer because cause it's not. It's stupid, but they want to establish that and they're trying to usher in this new era of news consumption via under the guise of fighting Russian disinformation for our own protection and the protection of democracy, not just here, not just in Ukraine, but around the world. That's why they want to replace the old model of news consumption with this really stupid new one. And I will describe how this Herschel Walker story is just a perfect example of what they're trying to create. And I actually have some clips about something unrelated about the Russian-Ukraine information battle. We're going to hear straight from Vladimir Zelensky's Goebbels herself. And she actually talks about things that is being applied. These tactics that she is talking about are being applied in stories like this Herschel Walker story. So I found that to be interesting. I didn't even plan that. I just noticed it as I was cutting the clip. So the Herschel Walker story, the new information, before we get into the new information, the bombshell information that the Washington Post dropped last night, let me give you guys a quick recap for those who are not caught up on the details of the story thus far because it is fast-changing, this story is. The woman accusing of Walker, excuse me, the woman accusing Walker, the woman accusing Walker of paying for her abortion, we don't know who she is. She has not been named. Why is this? Well, because it's 2022. And in today's world, we like our accusers like we like our Jeffrey Epstein co-conspirators, hidden and free from scrutiny. And that's exactly what is going on here. Is it a legitimate reason they're hidden? I don't know. There's also possible non-legitimate reasons, especially due to the timing and circumstances, that it seems a little sketchy, a lot sketchy. Actually, the woman spoke both to the Daily Beast and Washington Post, our authoritative sources, two of them, only on the condition of an anonymity. Both publications did ease our worries over the credibility of an anonymous source by assuring us that they have examined the evidence in support of her claim, the Washington Post, the detectives at the Post and the Beast, who have all that equipment, who have bigger magnifying glasses that we could ever have, better fedora hats, better detective minds, just not as stupid as us, and can actually evaluate credibility like we can. They did it for us, and they're telling us what they learned and what the meaning of it is. And here's the two pieces of evidence that they examined. One is a $575 receipt from a women's medical center where she allegedly had the abortion around that date in 2009. And the other is an image of a $700 check that was printed on an ATM slip that Walker is alleged to have sent her a week or so after the alleged abortion via FedEx and she cashed it nine days later. So 
that's the evidence in support of it right there. A couple of questions come to mind for me. One is that, well, let's assume that it's true, just for the sake of argument. That, that not just true, that the check itself is a legitimate check. The image of a check, of a receipt, a 13-year-old receipt. Let's assume it's legit. What does that prove? Well, that proves that Herschel Walker sent somebody who asked him for money $700. Absent of any other evidence, and this hearsay we're getting from anonymous sources, I'm sorry, an anonymous source doesn't become stronger when another anonymous source corroborates the first anonymous source's claim. And that, that's what they're telling us here. How stupid is this? How stupid are we? These are phantom claims, phantom evidence. Maybe they're real, but the evidence we're being presented is phantom evidence built on phantom evidence made to appear like lots of evidence because, it, because the phantoms are all around. Give us real evidence. Show us the evidence. Show us the people. Let us vet them. Don't just tell us and expect that we are supposed to believe you because you're an authoritative source. But that is what they want. That is the new model of news that I'm referring to. Back to the topic at hand. Isn't that a rap lyric? Probably. I Everything's a rap lyric, I guess. That was probably a, la- a rap lyric. So, it proves nothing, even if that is legitimate. Now, another question I have is, could any of you find a 13-year-old receipt from an ATM machine? Well, why is there just an image of it they looked at? Why not the whole thing? Why just an image? That's, that's another question. And could you? I couldn't. I might luck into one if I looked for like a month. But could you, some, some of you probably could. Others, probably not. And another question is, is someone who is down to their last $600, which apparently, according to the article, she was, and that's why she had to ask Walker for the money, are they usually savvy about keeping up with their financial records? Are they, are they, when, when, I was, when I was down to my last 10 bucks, which I had been before when I was much younger, I wasn't exactly balancing my checkbook and really keeping up with all my receipts and everything. I was just panicked about where I'm going to get the next gig, the next money is going to come in, stuff like that. So maybe she did keep up with it, maybe not. Or another possibility is the obvious possibility, and that is that Herschel Walker became famous. When people become famous, people who have known them come and try and suck off that teat, get that money, get that milk. And they try to do that. And oftentimes, I mean, not oftentimes, but we've heard stories about celebrities and athletes going broke because they keep giving all of their money to their friends. And this could very well be something that Herschel Walker did quite often. In fact, I'm sure it probably was. And he had a person who was down to maybe their last $600, it sounds like, who said, I need money. I'm in desperate times. Help me. And asked someone he was close to once. He said, "Ah, $700 is nothing for me. Send $700 over. Did she use it for an abortion? Maybe she did. For whose baby was it? Who knows? Maybe she didn't. Maybe it was his baby. Maybe she just did not tell him. That would be weird. However, what I bet she did do is... While she might not have kept her other receipts, she damn sure kept that one because she knew her friend Herschel was rich and she knew he, he was famous. And she knew that one day that little receipt might very well become very valuable for her if she plays her cards right. And maybe it did. Maybe she's getting paid by somebody here. That's assuming that it's true. Anyway, none of that proves anything. And yet this is all of the evidence they've given us. All of it. And they're condemning him saying he did it. Maybe he did. I don't know but they don't have any evidence to prove it. And this is what they don't want us engaging in, in the new media, in new news consumption. We are not to do what we're doing right now. We're not to ask these questions. We're not to analyze and dissect the evidence they provide. They they provide us with what they say is evidence and what they say is sources, and then they provide us with a conclusion that they have drawn from those sources. We are not to poke holes in that conclusion and bring up alternatives. That is not allowed 
if they have their way and they usher in this new model of news consumption that they're working very hard to try and push through. Okay, now here's the new revelations. The bombshell revelations. You better sit down. This is big stuff here. This was reported last night by the Washington Post. It was spread by every other major outlet and still talked about all day today. Here it is right here. Get ready. The woman in question, this is according to the Washington Post, had to repeatedly press Walker for the funds to pay for the 2009 abortion that she said he wanted her to have. That's it. That's the new revelation. That is the new revelation. You know how I know that? Because later in the article, when you're reading reading it going, where's the new revelation? The Post clarifies and says, where is it? it says, the extended discussion over payment for the procedure to end the first pregnancy has not previously been reported. The extended, the extended discussion has not previously been reported. The woman and the person she confided in both spoke on the condition of an- anonymity to protect the privacy of themselves and their loved ones. Everyone is speaking on the condition of anonymity. Nobody has a face here. But this was literally the bombshell that they dropped. Unbelievable. They, they, they tease this whole thing, and then they pull you in on this promise of new evidence, and then they just present you with a 10-page article that is just nothing but the same stuff they've been saying about Herschel Walker, which he said in his book, for the past six months or however, with that one bit, that, that extended conversation is the breaking news we just discovered from our anonymous sources. Oh, be damned, Herschel Walker, you're done. And he might be done just because idiots will buy into this stuff. So that, by the way, if, that, if that's really the case there, if she pressured him, if he, he wanted her to have the abortion, and she, you know, he, but he wouldn't give her the money, she had to pressure him, then it's, he should be a Democrat because they then might hire him to be their chief legal analyst where they will also allow him to freely polish off his football spike, if you know what I mean, on a Zoom call in front of his CNN colleagues, which he will then not lose his job for doing. He'll still be their chief legal analyst. Be a Democrat, and you got it made there, Herschel. Okay, this brings us to the abortion fallacy that I did reference earlier. So Republicans are being drilled, as I mentioned, with questions about the Walker story. They're being asked if they'd back a fellow anti-abortion Republican who once paid for an abortion. Oh, go to hell and die. Oh. And then they're trying to apply it to these candidates, whatever. And if that candidate you know, admitted it in the past, right? You know, they're, they're like Satan spawn, evil, and they have to be killed by the uh, tarred and feathered by the Republicans because that just cannot exist, according to the progressives who are talking about this. And these questions are asked as these gotcha questions, which they're not at all. They are actually obviously fallacies. They're stupid questions. And they're accompanied by an argument that this is the fallacy, which is obvious. I mentioned earlier that it is not possible for someone to have an abortion or pay for one. And then later in life, have and express legitimately anti-abortion, pro-life beliefs. Those two things can't exist. I beg to differ on that. Actually, this is the stupidest argument I've ever seen. This is that abortion fallacy because I would argue that it really goes probably the other way, actually, because it's not uncommon for someone to have an abortion, pay for an abortion. I know people have done both. And then later in life, regret that decision and ultimately become super hardcore pro-life, anti-abortion, 
because of their abortion experience earlier in their life. That is what led them to being the anti-abortion leader that they become. That is a story that is probably more relatable and more familiar to more people than we are led to believe. And that's a problem for them, for the media, because they don't want people thinking about it in that way, because that's a reasonable way to think about this. One that could very well humanize a Republican who has lived that story. And since it's the media's job to demonize those people, they can't let such reasonable thoughts and logical arguments creep into the minds of their propaganda targets if they are to succeed, which is why they pretend that what is reasonable and logical is actually illogical and insane, while at the same time acting like what lacks all logic and is clearly fallacious is based on sound reasoning and is a normal way to think. It's backwards. These propagandists, it's like they pose as a protective wall around the dilapidated castle that is the minds of their targets. Their goons and thugs stand guard outside around the wall posing as knights and soldiers, pretending to protect the crumbling castle from harmful information. When all the while, unbeknownst to the brainwashed mind inside, what they're really doing is making sure that under no circumstances does solid logic, sound reasoning, or strong arguments find their way inside that castle to awaken and free that imprisoned mind that has long since forgotten what freedom actually is. Long story short, that's why the media hates good arguments and only wants to control perception. They want to pump this stuff into people's heads to try and affect the election. That is pretty obvious there. And because these arguments, the way they're being made, like they are with Herschel, they're built off of stories that use anonymous sources and provide no evidence that the public can actually see and verify. The media can control this narrative and repeat that narrative, and it will be believed by many. Those who want to believe it anyway, who are inclined to, who, who love taking their side and believe their leaders are never failing and always great. This is why, as I mentioned before, and I'm going to talk about more in a second, while I'm not advocating lying, the best political mover, maneuver for someone who might find themselves accused of something similar to Herschel, is that Herschel's being accused of, the best thing for him to do politically might be to claim that even if it's not true, that it is true. No one wants to do that, obviously. No one who has never paid for an abortion or had an abortion is going to want to do that. However, these people operate for the good of the, the party, right? So it might not be up to them. They might, they might not support them if they don't say, hey, hey you know what? You're going to say that you did the abortion, okay? You did it yourself is what happened. And then you stole money from them. You hit her. You hit her, okay? They might make them do it because that puts the party and those defending the person in a better position to take control of the narrative and to not be defensive all the time. What it does is it allows them to create a redemption narrative instead. It eliminates having to defend the lie, the I didn't do it, and then it renders the abortion fallacy argument moot by taking control of that narrative and, as I said, turning it into a positive redemption story Going back to whether or not Walker paid for an abortion 13 years ago, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. I'm never going to know. We're probably never going to know unless this is a setup and they're just going to release a tape of, of Walker like walking up and saying, here, get the abortion, bitch. I, I don't think we're ever going to know the truth. It doesn't matter. But what we do know is that we, the public, have 
been shown zero evidence to support the claim. We've heard no testimony because both of the key witnesses remain anonymous and that anonymous factor is even more important here because of the fact of the timing of it and the fact that it's almost definitely related to the Democrat Party and they don't want us finding out about those people. So it seems very, very freaking suspicious. And setting all of that aside, though, and if we assume that the evidence, the receipts examined by the investigative detectives at the Washington Post, we assume those are legit, as we did earlier, then Herschel Walker didn't do anything more than sending someone, at least according to the evidence, $700 who asked for it. That, you know, is he lying? I don't know. Is she lying? I don't know. Somebody is, probably. But with that said, I want to talk about plausibility briefly for a second. Because of Herschel Walker's past, which he is revealed in his book not that he wrote his book he spoke somebody wrote for him i'm assuming and he's talked about it on his campaign during his campaign these accusations feel plausible to anyone to any news consumer you hear it as i said go i buy that and that's how propaganda works and that's what we have to remember plausibility does not mean truth plausibility is simply that it's plausible because circumstances about the person have made it plausible in our minds sometimes a person just comes attached with certain plausibility. You know, like if I were to read a story about Jeffrey Tubin walking onto a New York subway tra- station, pinning down someone's grandmother, and then attempting to teabag her with his penis, I'd say, that's plausible. I buy it. It doesn't mean it's true, though. If, however, I read a story about Jeffrey Tubin stepping off of a subway car, walking outside onto the New York streets, seeing a, someone's grandmother fall onto the ground, rushing over, helping her up, and then helping her across the street, I go, no way! Totally made up, not plausible, not in a million years. The plausibility has to be there, and the plausibility is either there because of the person and what we know about them, or they can build that plausibility over a series of stories over a long period of time, quite often, to once they set it in, then they can start attaching any kind of plausible propaganda to the framework of plausibility that they have created. I think about it kind of like, you guys get what I'm saying, but I like to talk about it like in terms of the original Karate Kid movie. It's not plausible at the beginning of that movie that, What's his name? What's the, that Danny LaRusso could beat up Johnny Lawrence in a fight. It's just not plausible. He's, uncoord- he's an uncoordinated twerp, and Johnny is an athletic, badass karate jock. It's just not possible. We see Johnny kick his butt, too. So if that end fight were to happen right then towards the beginning, the movie would suck because nobody would believe it. It wouldn't be plausible. But after the groundwork is laid, those fight scenes where we're starting to believe and condition the plausibility, yeah, 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 then at the end it becomes a little bit plausible, and we accept it that he wins, even if it wasn't high percentage chance, and that's what makes it a good movie that people like. I personally don't love the movie because I never bought into the plausibility that LaRusso could beat Johnny. And I still don't. I like Cobra Kai, but every time LaRusso fights, I'm like, I can't beat anybody up. He's too, it's just the athleticism just isn't there. It's too obvious to me, but you get what I'm saying. I like to think in movies sometimes. Okay. Again, I'm not saying Herschel did or didn't. I don't know. I'm just saying that it was plausible. And that's why the story has legs. And why, even if the claim is completely debunked, it will remain true in the minds of those who want it to be. So if I had to put money on it, bet on if Herschel paid for this abortion or not that we keep hearing about. I would say that he didn't, at least not willingly or knowingly. And probably not at all. Because if he did, 
if he is lying, there's no reason for him to lie. There's absolutely no reason for him to lie because of what I mentioned earlier about the narrative. If he did it, then he can just say he did, and it takes away this need to defend his denial. And it takes away the power of their abortion fallacy argument, and it puts the power back into the hands in the form of a redemption story that people can actually get behind. And relate. I think people can relate to, some people can. Imagine this, just imagine this from a messaging standpoint, which would be easier if you are a Republican defending Walker or whoever. Walker is asked if he did pay for this abortion that this woman claims that he paid for. And he responds instead by saying, yes, he did pay for that abortion. He made that decision at a time when he was lost and he was searching and that he's had to live with that decision for 13 years and will have to continue living with it for the rest of his life. And that he became very depressed about it in a real hole until he was pulled out of that hole by his faith where he found clarity, he found direction. And that led him to making another decision because he knew he could not go back in time and change the past. But what he could do is he could spend the rest of his life fighting for the lives of the unborn babies of the future. Something that he'll always wish he had done for his own. Now, is that an easier position to defend or is no, he didn't do it, even if he didn't do it? No, he didn't do it when they're going to assume he did anyway. And then, well, how dare you defend someone who had an abortion but now says they're anti-abortion? This gives a story to the progression. I'm not advocating to lie at all. What I'm saying is if he's lying, it's a stupid move. That's all. That is absolutely all. And by the way, no one would really want to lie about doing that if they didn't. And if they did do it, that would really suck that they had to do that or felt they had to do that, actually. I was just presenting you know, from the mind, the way that these strategists think about this stuff, that I'm actually surprised that they didn't get Herschel to do that. I guess the counter argument would be that by the way, that's why I believe that. I just, that's why I believe that Herschel probably is telling the truth, because it makes no sense for him to lie. I, the argument against that would be that if he did do it and he did tell the truth about it, then what he might gain from spinning it into this kind of narrative I described might not be worth what is lost in people who are so hardcore, I guess conservative or, or Christian on the right, who if they find out he had an abortion, if he said it right away, that they would just never support him again. I don't, I think that's the only, the counter argument, but I don't think that that's true. I mean, Trump was not the most moral person on the planet, you know, and he, he was embraced by evangelical Christians. Christianity is about forgiveness. Not to say that all Republicans are Christians, but I think that's the, would be the basis of those who would never support someone again, simply because they did something that even that person felt was a mistake and it changed their life and became why they believe what they believe today. I just don't see too many people doing that. And using that kind of story, if he did do it, is actually a non-fallacious argument that has good reasoning to it, that blows away the stupid abortion fallacy that the Democrats and progressives are using to shape public perception around it. It would have given them opportunity to take control. Although, if he didn't do it, I'm glad he's not doing that. I'm glad he is sticking to his guns and telling the truth if he, if he did not do it. Because that is what you should do, in reality. That's what people should do, even though they don't. Not all the time. 
Okay, the thing that I want to talk about now briefly is this new model of news consumption that's being ushered in that I did mention a moment ago. But let's go back into it a little bit deeper. And uh, this, Her- this Herschel Walker story, okay. Let's think about how this is being covered, being reported to us, and how it illustrates how we're not doing any thinking. We're just absorbing meaning that's being given to us by these propagandists. And this is the model they want to create, absolutely, as they talk about it all of the time. And they create it under the guise of fighting disinformation, fighting fake news, whatever the current enemy is. And this new model is not designed to enlighten or create critical thinking in anybody. It's actually designed, intended to inoculate the public from any source of information who is not deemed to be credible and authoritative by the very people and organizations in power who have done nothing but prove to us over and over again that they will continue to lie to us. They have, in fact, begun to tell us that they lied to us in the past, but that they did it for our own good. So it's okay that they lied to us. I mean, this is how brazen they're getting with these lies. And now they, are, they get to determine who our authoritative sources to trust are and who we are not allowed to trust. That is the whole idea here. This is kind of how it works here. And we may get to some of these clips here in a second of this brand new think tank uh, with Zelensky's Goebbels, which is so totally eye-opening. We, we will get to at least two of those clips because I promised them and then we'll do the rest in the XRs, what we will do. So... There are so many sources of information on the internet right now, right? And you can't control it all. I mean, they talk about this in the propaganda literature is when you can't control all that, you got to do other things to make, you know, wash it out, overwhelm people with information, put it on the back burner, bury it, whatever. If you can't control it, you got to eliminate it or, or make inoculate people in other ways. And what they try to do is they can demonetize, they can demote, they can promote their stuff, they can put a little news guard certified next to it, a little red evil, more evil information next to it, stuff like that. They can't shut down the internet. They might can do that temporarily, but they want us all connected to the grid, so they have a bit of a conundrum. They want us all connected to this grid so they can track us, get all of our information, but they also don't want us finding other possible sources of information that might exist on this grid because... Quite frankly, they're not the best cyber hackers. People can have, even sci- like even if they controlled everything, cyber hackers could put inconvenient information that people could find, which we actually hear this propagandist say that Vladimir Zelensky did in Russia. He hacked in Russia to spread propaganda. Fascinating stuff. So on top of all of these other things, which are not a perfect solution, they're seeking a more perfect solution, and that is the hacking of our minds. And... What they're trying to do, we actually heard Bill Gates talking about this too the other day in some of the clips, is that they want to teach children and elderly people digital media literacy. And digital media literacy, I've seen some of the courses, you guys have too, I'm sure, focuses almost exclusively on their new definition of critical thinking, which is not about critically thinking about the content of what the information is, asking questions about what you're seeing or about an event that happened. It's critically thinking the way they put it, quote, air quotes, about if the source is authoritative or not. So you get one question in their ideal future. And that one question is, before you look at any information, this is how this works. You get one question. Is this an authoritative source or not? If yes, you know with full confidence, you know what your thinking is done. You know with full confidence that all of that information all is true, it's helpful, and, and the meaning of it is moral that you're taking away, and you should be instructed by it. That's all you have to ask. If it's not, if it's not authoritative, you do not look at the information that comes from a non-authoritative source. Why? Because it's dangerous. 
and it gets in your head to poison you like a virus. And that virus could cause you to even unintentionally spread Russian disinformation that threatens our very democracy and lives. I mean, lives are at stake here around the world. You don't want to be the one who goes meddling and even looking at that alternative source of, of unauthoritative information and risk you know, nuclear holocaust. It, it really, that's almost kind of the argument they make with some of this stuff. They literally tell these activists not to engage, not to repeat any information that comes. They don't tell them to, to question this, to say, here's how you debunk it. They say, don't look at any information that comes from non-authoritative sources, which are, according to them, like right-wingers, basically, or election deniers, stuff like that. So people never engage, engage in it. They just spread scripted messages that, quote, tell the right truth, the moral truth, fighting this bad information without ever actually looking at it, ever, because they've been convinced it's morally bad. That's the new model of news that they would like to create. And this Herschel Walker story, the type of reporting we're seeing, just think about it. We have two news operations that are deemed to be authoritative sources, the NewsGuard certified, the Washington Post and the Daily Beast, speaking to anonymous sources on our behalf, as I mentioned, because they can know who these people are. Like They're allowed to, and they can ask the right questions. They're better equipped to analyze whether or not this is a credible source than we are, so they're going to do it for us so we don't make the mistake. And so they do that for us. We don't ever get to see who it is. And then they examine the evidence for us. We don't ever get to see the evidence because we're too stupid to examine the evidence, and we could come to the wrong conclusion if we examine that evidence ourselves. So they need to do it, and they need to guide us to what the meaning of this information and this evidence is. They do not leave wiggle room for our own conclusions because wrong conclusions are bad for their narrative. So they make us fear unintentionally spreading propaganda. They make us fear understanding the information that we might see because it might be so complex. And I even heard a guy at the Bill Gates thing say that people need to understand that there's some information, like medical information, that they search online that they are not equipped to actually engage with. That if they engage with it, they are going to get themselves hurt badly because they don't understand it. Talking about when you look up your symptoms or something or what causes symptoms, stuff like that. It was basically a, you don't need to look at information you're not qualified or certified to look at. It's kind of getting to that aspect of it, which is where the authoritative sources we're allowed to hear from come from. And this is our plan, man. This is the grand inoculation plan that we are going to actually see a little bit of in these clips here. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you guys a couple of clips because I've been promising this stuff from Vladimir Zelensky's Goebbels. I do want to give you guys at least a couple of introductory clips. I will continue doing the clips in the XR. That's what the XR is going to be. And tomorrow, we're going to continue with it. And there will definitely be clips for tomorrow. And, and the ones that just are mind-blowing, I will probably bring back to the DMB. But if you do want to get access to the DMB XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, where we're going to do that, and we're also going to do another one of the 100 things you're not supposed to know Number 16 this time, not in any chrono chronological order, but we're going to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. That is how we fund the show. You can also leave a, a five-star rating, a review that warms my heart and keeps me motivated and morale high. And you can also go to the PayPal links in the, the show notes on Megaphone and probably on the new website, propagandafight.com and make a one-time donation if you'd like to support that way as well. That is how we fund the show. It's the only way we can keep this going is y'all support and encouragement. And all right, let's dive into this final story of the day, which is about this 
information with the tips on how to win the information war from Vladimir Zelensky, his Goebbels himself. This is a from a panel discussion. This stuff is from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, the CSIS. They held an interesting discussion the other day titled hashtag NAFO, N-A-F-O, and winning the information war. Lessons learned from Ukraine. Those participating in the panel discussion are senior fellow at the International Security Program and of Smart Woman and Smart Power Initiative, Kathleen uh, McGinnis. And then we have Seth Jones, who's a senior vice president and director of the International Security Program at the CSIS. We have Emily Harding. She's a, worked in the government her entire life, something she's very proud of, fighting disinformation, a deputy director and senior fellow for International Security Program at the CSIS. And then a couple of guests they have brought in is retired U.S. Marine and co-founder of an organization called NAFO, Matt Morse. I'll tell you what NAFO is when we get to his clips, which probably won't be till tomorrow. But this guy is basically, he's the mimetic warfare head. On, uh, an American former Marine leading the mimetic warfare on behalf of, of Ukraine. Really some interesting stuff that these guys, in fact, this is probably all I'm going to do tomorrow. And then the final one, who we are going to hear a little bit from today, at least one, is the woman who is a former journalist in Ukraine and President Zelensky's former spokesperson, his, his Goebbels, you will see. And she is there virtually. Well, sort of. You'll see. You'll, you'll see the image here. So this first clip is from Kathleen, the moderator. She is just giving a quick little introduction of what this is about. This does give you some context to understand. As we continue to observe Russia's war in Ukraine, not only have we witnessed stunning successes from the Ukrainians on the battlefield, but the Ukrainian government has dominated the information space in the West through both President Zelensky and many others, many of whom are volunteers, and their masterful ability to shape international narratives surrounding the war. Okay, we see right off the bat, this is about shaping narratives. And we know in narrative warfare, because we heard it from the experts themselves, the ones who wrote the book for the intelligence community, that narrative warfare is not at all about truth. It is about meaning. It is about taking information, providing the meaning that you want the public to take away from and interpret it as, and giving it to them in a narrative that enables you to do that. They, are, they want to remove all possibility of the public determining a meaning on their own. So they try and get in there and... Give them that meaning first. And we see that that is a strategy that is being used in this information war as well. Moving on to the next clip. This is the same woman introducing us to the panel in a little bit more detail than I did. She tells us why these people are qualified to speak about how to win the information war. They're the frontline fighters. They are why. That's why we are hearing their expertise. So what can we learn from all of this? What insights should be gleaned for the information war surrounding Ukraine as we look to other counter-disinformation counter campaigns in the future? To walk us through some of the lessons learned through the ongoing war in Ukraine, today in our studio we have my colleague here at CSIS, Senior Vice President and Director of the International Security Program, Dr. Seth Jones, who's been following and analyzing the conflict extremely closely and is going to give us a sense of where we are today in the campaign's actual progress. We are also thrilled to have Yulia Mindel, a Ukrainian journalist and President Zelensky's former spokesperson. In addition to Yulia's uh, distinguished career in journalism before having a front row seat watching President Zelensky's thinking on the information aspects of the war, she's also just published The Fight of Our Lives, a fascinating piece that is available for purchase at the event link. And having written a book, that is no small accomplishment. So congratulations on getting that done, um, in addition to all the things you've got going on. Uh, we thank, also you, have, thank you for having me. Absolutely. We also have Matt Moores, who's 
a co-founder of the North Atlantic Fellow Organization, also known as Hashtag NAFO on Twitter. That's the memetic warfare guy, and that is his organization. Look up Hashtag NAFO. It'll prepare you for what we're going to hear tomorrow and more of. Which is an organic online group of pro-Ukraine supporters that have gained... Bullshit. Not organic. The attention of policymakers and global leaders for the creative use of digital media to take on key sources of Russian disinformation and raise support for the war, in, war effort in Ukraine. So he'll be able to speak a, to a bit more to us on why we have lots of images of cartoon Shiba Inus like popping up in our timelines these days. You notice that cartoon Shinu Ibus? I, I thought that was a crypto thing. Well, it's apparently something else too, which came first. Who co-opted it? And finally, we have Emily Harding, a senior fellow and deputy director of the International Security Program, our expert on information operations and disinformation, who's been tracking the evolution of U.S. responses to Russian propaganda for years. All right. So there are our panel of experts. These are truly front line of the information for um, people, especially this woman, which, by the way, I want to take this back because I do want to talk about this imagery. I've actually never seen this before with the imagery that they're using at this panel. What we see, for those who are just listening on screen, usually it's just six people sitting in chairs like six feet apart with a blank background. Just very boring. Now we have a, a full propaganda set that they've put on for this information war panel discussion. They're sitting around a table. There's five of them. There's like a table kind of facing diagonal, and there's two people on the right side, two people on the left side. They're facing each other, and we are looking at them. Uh, on the, They're not facing us. They're facing each other. We see their sides. The person at the head of the table, at the back of the table, from our perspective, facing us, back against the wall, is this propagandist, this Goebbels from Ukraine. And what we see is her face very clearly facing everyone, except you look under the table, there's no legs because... She's here virtually, except not in a similar way that we're used to virtual appearances. This is like a long screen that makes it look like she's actually sitting at the table with them. I mean, you can tell if you just look at it in passing, you might not notice it. But if you look at it for long enough, it's like, okay, that's a virtual screen. It's very odd looking how they're trying to make it look like she's actually there. On is that? A, it looks like a rolling tripod or something. Very, very weird. And the screen behind them has... A bunch of propaganda images. It's got posters. It's got Shibu Inu dogs. It's got Zelensky doing his propaganda thing. It's got propaganda war posters behind him. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole setup and a whole feel they're trying to put out here that I've actually never seen any of these think tanks do before. This is a first. And on the left side, our left, their right, there are some books that are clearly being showcased for the crowd. These are choices, by the way. These books, for us to see them, are no accident. The titles of, of the books that can be seen in Clearview, one of them is a book called Chinese Power in Clearview. Another one is called Women Power in Clearview. And then it looks like there's a book on the other side called Impossible State there that is in view. Decorated for our and those who are watching this panel discussions, information war purposes, so to speak. Very interesting. I encourage you to check this out just to see the imagery, because they don't usually do this stuff. They really usually put no thought into set decorating. It's like, you know, people get really excited to decorate for Halloween, except they're like, oh my gosh, finally, let's, let's put up some more propaganda and scare the hell out of some people. All right, let's fill the room with lies and BS. That appears to be what they're trying to do here. Okay, I'm going to give you one more clip for the DMB, because I want you to get just a taste of what the Ukrainian Goebbels is like in this clip. Ulia, 
she is going to be talking about the key elements of Ukraine's messaging campaign. It's not actually just Ukraine's mes- messaging campaign. She makes clear it is the West and the entire democratic societies around the world's messaging campaign against autocracy. And she tells us what the first line of defense is. And she can be hard to understand. Okay, so I'm going to stop it probably and try to explain as best I can. Um, I must say that, um, you know, here, uh, the whole development, historical development of Russia and Ukraine and our 31 years of independence played a crucial role because a lot of was about operational system and communications really worked well to help this operational system uh, uh, get successes. But let me remind you that first, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, destroyed, uh, faked actually media and journalism. Then he faked diplomacy. And now he tries to fake democracy by invading and annexing Ukraine. See, you, we can already tell her propaganda strategy here, saying that Putin fakes everything, they fake nothing. They're evil, we're good, always. Clear cut, no gray area. And so this shows that the media, they are the first line of defense against autocracy. And this is where we need to learn our lessons. Freedom-loving versus autocracy. I mean, that, that is the moral message they're trying to present here. Like, you know they're propaganda. When they're talking like this, we already know that they're not being truthful, that they're being propagandistic. In, in a hardcore, I mean, seriously, ministry of truth-like way, listen to what she says after that. That first, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, destroyed, uh, faked, actually, media and journalism. Then he faked diplomacy. And now he tries to fake democracy by invading and annexing Ukraine. And so this shows that the media, they are the first line of defense against autocracy. And this is where we need to learn our lessons. So I think... Media's first line of offense against autocracy. That's where these lessons learned about the Ukraine information war are coming from. That's important to remember. So her stuff is going to be focused on the media, social media, the digital technologies that have emerged. That is where they control. That's where this new world public is that they're focusing these information war lessons learned and their propaganda on because that reaches a global audience, which she, you know, this stuff is actually fascinating discussion. I will let her continue. I think this war showed that the boundaries of freedom of speech have got a new framework and in she said the boundaries of freedom of speech have got a new framework this new era of emerging informational technologies um we need to answer if we are ready to to face the challenges uh, if we can make tough political decisions and doubt our own rules uh, about freedom of speech to fight uh, uh to fight the disinformation, the weaponized word that comes from Russia. And I think that this Russian war uh, against democracy in Ukraine Ukraine showed that we can actually uh, take really difficult decisions. Notice how she says this Russian war against democracy in Ukraine, so not against Ukraine, but against democracy in Ukraine. So democracy is everywhere. But I'm going to tell you what I think she said, because I know it's hard to hear. I would think someone like her who is such a major propagandist would know the value of quality audio that people have to hear your propaganda in order to be mind controlled by it. But here's what I believe that she said. This war showed us that the boundaries of freedom of speech have a new framework and that in this new era of emerging informational technologies, we need to answer if we are ready to face the challenges. If we can make tough political decisions and doubt our own rules about freedom of speech to fight disinformation, fight these weaponized words that come from Russia, and that this, this war in Ukraine has showed that we can take these difficult decisions. It sounds to me 
I'm pretty sure that's what she said. It seems to me like she's saying that what they've learned from this information war with Russia is that they can, in fact, censor some of what they deem to be weaponized words on the Internet and social media. Doing so under the guise of, as I talked about earlier in relation to the Herschel Walker story, countering disinformation that threatens all of our security, our democracy, the global democracy around the world. And when it comes to informational technologies, they can, they can have some success in changing what she calls the framework for what free speech is. And I also find it interesting that she says free speech as though Ukraine and every country involved in, in the West and the United States have the same free speech rights in their constitutions, which the, we don't. But that's because she's not talking about any one nation. She's talking about a global community. She's talking about where this framework is going to exist. And that is going to be on the internet, on these emerging technologies. And I believe that is their goal, to create this global free speech framework on a social media that, or an internet that is pretty much largely controlled by the powers that be. It can't, they can't ever completely control it, though. But we talked about ways they will try to do that earlier. And their goal would be to promote anything that is about standing in solidarity with Ukraine and banish anyone who dares to question the virtue of sending billions of dollars of American taxpayer money and weapons to a military that has a few too many guys in it with swastika tattoos. If you question that, bring that up. Be gone from the global internet. Go to the gulags. Okay, guys. We're going to get out of here for the DMB. We're going to continue this conversation in the XR Thank you guys for listening. Again, if you want access to that subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. Check out the new website, propagandafight.com. I've done very little to it, but it is there. It does exist, and look at it. And leave a five-star review, a moral-building, motivating comment that warms my heart as well. And I'm going to get some outro music here. You can find the Propaganda Report podcast wherever you find your podcast. And thank you guys for listening. It's been a long week. I hope you guys have had a good week. I know it's raining here, but hopefully... It hadn't rained in a while, actually. I'm kind of glad it's raining a little bit. So hopefully you're getting the right amount of rain and the right amount of sun and the right, right amount of happiness, actually. So have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you guys next time.